What's up, everyone? Hope you're having an awesome Thursday today. So we have a super fun conversation with Kristen Corpuz. So she's kind of done a little bit of everything uh, from being on American Idol, singing national anthems in, in major league stadiums, as well as interviewing people like Steve Madden, uh, Wu-Tang Clan, the highest of the high in, in fashion and design, writing for Teen Vogue. She does travel writing as well. So we get into anything and everything that she is into. I swear we could have had another two hours worth of conversation if time would have permitted. Um, so she's based out in LA, originally from New York, went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. So she's got so many special talents and gifts that help her uh, to become who uh, she is today and to accomplish the things that she has done. So we dive deep into her writing career as well and some of the challenges that she faced with that, uh, most of them being trying to access the people that are very high up in her desired space already. How do we get to those people? And we inquired on that because we kind of have the same issues. We want to access such and such person, but how do we go about doing that uh, the right way, still respectfully, not coming off as, as a creeper almost, but uh, how, how did she go about doing that and building those relationships and uh, continuing to feed those relationships, make sure those are healthy, and when she reached out to someone that kind of helped her early on, uh, he was able to help her again when she uh, was in a, a moving transition and trying to start up again. So uh, she talks a lot about her past experiences and relationships, how those things have fueled her, um, so on and so forth to keep on going with that. And she, she made a, an important mention about her travel writing when she goes to these beautiful exotic places around the world and writes about them. She made the point that she's not just on vacation hanging out. She's like, a lot of people think I'm just having a good time, on vacation, not doing much. And she said, I get my nice picture, I, I show the, the landscape, the views, and then I go to a coffee shop or wherever and just start writing. So she's working. Um, it's not a bad looking work environment. Uh, it's a nice little scenery to have, but she is still trying to make it, still doing her job and putting in those hours, putting in the work. Uh, no matter where she's at and, and what time it is, she has to get her shit done. So it was really fun and uh, held a lot more respect to things like that. So people know that it's not just a party, you know, they're not, you know, oh, they get to go here and here and not do anything. No, she has earned every step of the way. So um, I know you guys don't hear Tim on this intro. Uh, he's actually out of town. So we did this a little uh, after the fact. So uh, I do feel a little lonely without you, Tim, but we're making it happen. But without further ado, uh, please help us in welcoming Kristen Corpus, High Energy, positive vibes. I really hope we get to a point where we travel to LA and get to sit down with her in person and do another podcast uh, with a little more time because this is electric. It was so much fun and just jovial, high spirited and, and just good, good energy. So uh, again, Kristen Corpuz, that's her handle on Instagram as well, C-O-R-P-U-Z and hope you guys really enjoy this conversation. Thanks. So how did you get your start with things? You've done a little bit of everything, writing, uh, Fashion Week, American Idol, you sing, you've done some uh, acting, right? You've had interviews with some way interesting sounding people. So where, where do we kind of start with, with you, Kristen? 
Um, oh, great question. I don't know how far back to go. So I guess like I performed my whole life and I thought that growing up, I thought that I was going to be a performer. I like, but my parents are from the Philippines and it seeing, they don't see performing as a full-time career. So everything was all about, this is a hobby, have your fallback plan. And, um, and I'd gone to art schools my entire life. My, I, I think I was really fortunate that my county, um, we had public schools that had a focus in the arts. So my middle and high school were both focused in the arts. And so you took like four periods of arts classes a day and then four periods of um, our regular academic classes. So we had like this really cool balance of, you know, getting to perform and getting to, you know, explore our interests outside of academia and then also take normal classes that would allow us to graduate and go to college, you know. Um, and so I went to an arts high school and my parents kind of said to me, you know, if, if you're going to go to an arts high school and you're going to like prepare yourself for a career in the arts, you have to take it super seriously and you have to like really go for it, you know. Um, and so I definitely like worked really hard in school. And when the time came um, for me to apply to college, I kind of, I, I wasn't really sure which way to go. So the only non-university that I applied to was a school that I ended up going to, which was Berkeley College of Music. But every other school that I had applied to was a university with a decent music program. And, um, and so I was in between like Berkeley and NYU and U Miami. Those were like my top three at, by the end of it. And so then decided ultimately on Berkeley just because I liked the idea of being able to perform, but they still offer you a bachelor's degree um, when you graduate. So it wasn't fully conservatory. And then they also offered a really strong music business program. And it wasn't, um, what I really liked about it was it didn't like put students into boxes. I think the way that a traditional university does um, where you would have to decide on your major and you can only take classes within that major, you know, Berkeley's very fluid, um, which is what I really liked about it. So I went through school um, and my parents said, even if you want to perform, you have to major in music business. Like if you're going to double major, that's okay, but you have to major in music business. So I completed that major and then also double majored in um, professional music, which is like our way of saying, build your own major. And um, yeah. And so we, you get to pick up to three concentrations within that major. And so I'm concentrated in performance and songwriting. So I sort of like snuck all of this stuff in to three and a half years worth of college. Um, and then I finished school and I had no plan. I thought that either I was going to be a performer and manage myself or that I was going to start working at a record label or start working at an agency or managing artists or something like that. And um, I moved to New York right after I finished school and had no job, no plan and couldn't find work. Like I was like, oh, I'm a shoe in. Like I've done so many internships and I've like, I have so much experience. Like anyone will want to hire me. I could not find a job. Mm -hmm. And so I started expanding my search outside of directly music industry jobs. Um, and I had interviewed someone at Billboard for a school project. Um, and so I got back in touch with him and I was like, hey, any chance you're hiring like temps, interns, whatever, like I just need something to get started. I moved to New York. I've been here for three weeks and nothing has happened. Um, and I'd been applying to jobs like, you know, for months prior to me moving. And then, um, yeah, by the time he got back to me, I had already been in New York for maybe a month and a half. And he was like, hey, are you still looking for work? And I was like, yes, I am. And he said, oh, well, we don't really have a position, but we could possibly make one for you if you're really interested in coming. Okay. Um, and I was like, yeah, yes, 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 please hire. Yeah, whatever, whatever you need me to do, I will come. <laughs> and so I went in and it was just interesting because I think what 
interested them the most about me was because I knew a lot about the music industry. I was very, um, I, I understood how trends worked in the music industry, even though I had no editorial background. And so I think that was kind of my selling point was that I understand how musicians work. I can like speak to musicians on a, I guess on a personal level. And even though I don't have editorial experience, like I can talk about music from the point of view of a musician. And, um, and I think that was really appealing to them. So they ended up hiring me on a temp contract for six months. And I, I worked in the charts department um, helping produce the charts every week. So if like the Billboard Hot 100 and um, so if, like that's the most popular one. So I feel like that's the one that people most associate, but there's like over a hundred charts. So we put wow. our team put that together every week. And then um, I was also writing editorial content to support the charts every week. And then at the time they were also trying to build up their uh, lifestyle vertical. Um, and so a lot of it seems like they didn't have a lot of interest, people who wanted to talk about fashion and beauty, but because I had been performing my whole life, I had like taught myself how to do my own makeup and my own hair and like how to style myself. And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I guess I know what I know because I taught myself. Um, and I, yeah, I'd be happy to write about that stuff. And then that sort of took off in a way that was completely unexpected. Like I interviewed Steve Madden within my first month of writing wow. for them. And I interviewed a lot of like really high profile um, celebrity hairstylists and makeup artists. And that was kind of just by accident, just because like Billboard is a big enough name. And if you're emailing someone from an at billboard.com email address, like, yeah, they want to answer your email. Yeah. And I think <laughs> And then um, by the time my contract ended, I had this huge portfolio of both music related bylines and lifestyle related bylines. And I think my interviews and the people that I had had access to um, sort of helped fuel what happened next. And so then um, at that point, yeah, all of my recent relevant work experience post-grad was all in editorial. So hmm. I just reached out to a bunch of publications and I couldn't find a job anywhere. Like I was applying to full-time jobs and couldn't find a job anywhere. Um, I think I was applying to jobs that were like a little out of reach for me. Um, so then I just decided to start freelancing. And yeah, my first byline after Billboard was in Teen Vogue. Um, and then it sort of just snowballed from there. I think like once you have a couple, it becomes easier to start writing for other people. And since then, I feel like I've written for pretty much everyone that I would want to write for. There are a few wow. still that are on the but yeah. yeah, and it's just really taken off. And now most of my, my writing is more lifestyle oriented. Um, and so that's kind of nice that it sort of like started in what my first passion was and it's sort of, you know, right. roundabout taking me to something different. But yeah. Gotcha. That's great. Long that's a great. Long. That's an awesome. No, that's, that's an awesome path. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm like just fixated on the whole story. I'm just buckled in. I'm hanging yeah. on for the ride. Oh, Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you, so when you first got the, the byline with Teen Vogue. How did that mm -hmm. kind of how did that kind of go down? Was it just oh my gosh? So I because I didn't have like any editorial knowledge besides working at Billboard. I didn't understand how newsrooms worked. Like I didn't know that you're supposed to pitch certain editors. It's like like I didn't understand what a vertical was. Like things like that. Like just like lingo that you learn being in journalism school. I didn't know any of those things. So I didn't know who to reach out to. I didn't know how you would get in touch with them. Like how do you pitch an editor? Um, and so I like literally would sit in Starbucks for like 10 hours a day, just like researching how, how to pitch an editor or how to, uh, find their email address. What is a masthead? Like, just like all of these things that like, I wasn't, I feel like those are things that you learn in journalism school. Like, how do you pitch someone? How do you like, what are, what's a proper way to email, to cold email an editor? Who are the people that you get in contact with? What's the hierarchy 
of a newsroom, things like that. Like I was emailing like the top, top people expecting a response. And obviously like the editor in chief of Vogue is not going to come back. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) it's not returning my email, but, um, but yeah, I think it, so it took a lot of trial and error. And so I was like Googling a lot. How do you, how do you pitch? Like, who do you pitch? What, what is a vertical? Where do you pitch certain stories? Like, you know, and what is, you also don't pitch like this way you wouldn't pitch Anna Wintour. You also don't pitch an editorial assistant because they have no control over whether or not your stories get published. Right. So you have to find the right people. And it took a lot of research, I think. And I had, I had written out a list of dream publications to write for. And so I like took a lot of time and like would actually go and buy the magazine, like read the masthead, write down all their names, or like if I couldn't afford to buy the magazine at the time, then I would just like take a photo of the masthead. And then like, I Instagram stalked people. I, it was like, just being as as resourceful and as savvy as possible with the internet. Um, I LinkedIn stalked people until I finally figured out like, okay, at Condé Nast, like I know that their email address is first name underscore last name at Condé Nast.com. Now I know. And so then anyone I wanted to get in touch with who worked at Condé Nast, that's how I'm going to email them. But then I realized that that's not always the case. So like kind of have to like trial and error. Is it first initial, last name, just last name. There's like just first name, like depending on the publication, there were different formulas for the email addresses, I guess. So there's a lot of that, like a lot of trial and error of reaching out to people and sort of figuring out um, who to get in touch with. And yeah, I had sent, I want to say upwards of 20 emails to people at Teen Vogue, hoping that someone would me back and I, I had sent emails to everyone from like the social team to the editorial assistants to like to Philip Picardi who was the editor-in-chief at the time and finally got a response on maybe my fourth or fifth follow-up from their beauty uh editor at the time and then she um asked me to pitch her because I had just sent cold emails because I had read in a lot of places like don't send a pitch with emails when you're introducing or sorry, don't send an email with pitches when you're introducing yourself because it Mm -hmm. can get overwhelming when Mm -hmm. you're trying to squeeze so much information about yourself as to why they should hire you, blah, blah, blah. Um, So like if you put pitches at the bottom of it, it just makes it too much to digest. So I had been sending out these cold emails that were just a, hi, I'm Kristen. Here are the people that I've written for before. Here are the people I've interviewed. Like I'd be really interested in contributing to your publication. Like, are you looking for pitches right now? And yeah, maybe fourth or fifth follow-up, I finally got a response from the beauty editor at Teen Vogue. And she was like, yeah, sure. Send pitches my way. And I was like, ah, response. Yeah. And so I had, of course, had, you know, a bunch of pitches ready to go. Um, So I think I sent her an email back with like three of them. And then she picked one and she worked with me really intensely on it like more so than I thought that she would like I thought it was going to be like a I submit the draft she looks over it and it just goes up but like we did a lot of back and forth and she was really constructive um and it was like my first real experience I think outside of billboard where I was like oh this is how an editor writer relationship works um and so she really workshopped my piece with me and then it went up and I think from there, it just got easier to ask people to contribute to their publications just because like Teen Vogue is a big name and Billboard's a big name. And then I think just having those two um, publications behind me was good for me. Yeah. yeah. So you said there was a lot of trial and error when reaching out to, you know, the big wigs, the, the top names that you were going after. What have you found works the most or works the best with you when trying to, okay, this is a a reach, but I really want to get to that person. How have you found the best way to access those types of people? 
Um, I have found that it's, it's all about like paying your dues. I think that I, well, just by nature, I'm a very impatient person. And I have always wanted to be the kind of person who's like, I want to go straight to the top. Like I'm not taking all these little baby steps to get up there. Like if I have a goal, I want to just go for that top goal. Right. And I think that as I've gotten older, I've realized that it, it, especially in this industry, and I'm sure in most other industries as well, it really is about paying your dues. Like there's no shortcut. You can't really like especially if you're freelance, like no one cares about freelancers, you know, to an extent until you've given them a reason to care about you. They, they don't, they won't care, you know? So I think, um, yeah, it's been all about like building up my portfolio over time and like being really diligent about maintaining those relationships. I, whenever I'm in New York, I make an effort to reach out to all of the editors that I freelance for and say, Hey, can I take you out for coffee just as a thank you, whatever. And they might not have time for me, but I think that that, um, that goes a long way and just saying like, hi, I value our relationship. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to write for you. Um, and then from there, I feel like you just work your way up. Right. So like, um, what's a good example, like for Allure, I started, uh, writing for them. Um, when I, I kind of helped them out when they were in a bind during best of beauty awards last year, and they kind of needed someone to just come in and do like a lot of pieces really, really quickly because they had a really tight turnaround. And I think I submitted like five or six pieces for them within a week, which is a lot. Um, mm. and, um, and they were like, thank you so much. Like we could not have done this without you, you know, and then me doing that built up good faith. And then from there, I've like now have been able to email their editor in chief and, um, you know, and we don't have like a tight relationship, I would say, but like, you know, we know of each other and like we've interacted on social media and like things like that. Like it's, it's, she knows who I am now and it, it has taken some time of course. And like, I don't go straight to Michelle Lee, who's the editor in chief of Allure. Like I can't go straight to her, but because I've already freelanced for them and kind of did them a solid when they were in a bind and have, you know, continued to foster those relationships with their editors. I feel like now she like kind of has a semblance of who I am. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. you're kind of on, on the list now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It just, but it takes some time. And I feel like, yeah, I think we're part of a generation that's just like super impatient. Everything, we want everything immediately. We're so used to like mm-hmm. being able to pull out our phones and get any information that we need, like mm-hmm. in a snap and in a snap. So I feel like, yeah, just being patient and taking your time and being able to like say, you know, it's not my time yet, but eventually this person will know mm-hmm. who I am. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like you really resourceful, but you're also persistent. Cause I'm sure a lot of these people you reach out to, they probably get a lot of emails per day. They probably have a lot yeah, of distractions 100%. on their own phones. But like you said, you followed up like sometimes four or five times. I feel like that's, that goes with patience too. So. For sure. I would say though, I'm almost persistent to a fault. Like I, I sometimes, I sometimes wonder if I'm taking it too far and I have asked some editors that I'm now closer with like hey the first six times that i emailed you was that annoying and they're like eh, you could have used it back a little bit you know, so. <laughs> and so but i i guess it does too. on one side of it it shows enthusiasm yeah it shows persistence it shows dedication and on the other side it can be like a little stalker you know so like yeah um, and especially because i think now we're all so available in so many different ways right like I can reach out to you via email but I can also like find you on Instagram I can find you on Twitter I can find you on Facebook I can find you on LinkedIn and there's so many different avenues to reach a person and Mm -hmm. I think that sometimes we forget that like just because you can reach them that way doesn't mean you should Mm -hmm. you know and so I think that that came with maturity um but I I remember when I first 
started freelancing, I was like, oh, well, it seems like every beauty editor is on Instagram and that's how they're interacting with all of the people that they want to interact with. So I followed them all on Instagram, would like respond to their stories like, oh, you look so cute today. And, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, and yes, to an extent, like, yes, that's good. And I, I have heard from other big editors that they appreciate that. It like puts off, you know, a red flag, like, oh, hey, yeah, that person emailed me. I should go back and read their email because mm. now they're responding to my Instagram story. And it, it helps with the name recognition thing. But there is a point where you can take it too far. And I think maybe with certain people, and remembering correctly, just certain publications that I really wanted to write for, or certain editors that I really wanted to get in touch with, I maybe may have taken it too far. But um, they shoot or shoot, right? Yeah, and you <laughs> may not have ended up getting it if you didn't go the extra mile. You yeah, just never know. Yeah. You never like know. My favorite saying is "shit or get off the pot," and so that's like, right. <laughs> let's go. I like him already. Yeah. yeah. So I always his name is Colin too, by the way. So it's all oh. the same as you. Oh, and sweet! He, now we're talking one L club. What's up? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, he hates when people. With two L's, right? <laughs> oh, it's aggravating. Yeah, fake it's news. Some people call my name with an E N. It's the worst. It's mm, true. Okay. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, like that. I think that's a really good mantra for just everything in life. Like, should I get off the pot? If you want to do it, you do it. If you don't want to do it, then don't do it. But mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's yeah. I think that's definitely like fueled a lot of how I approach things. But I think now, um, just because I've written for so many publications and I think a lot of editors know who I am, it's gotten a lot easier to, you know, reach out to people cold and be like, Hey, look at all my bylines. This is my portfolio. Hire me. And people are like, Oh yeah, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, but again, it took time. So I think the starting out part is the hardest, but once you get one or two, it snowballs. Okay. So I want to go back to when the guy you interviewed from Billboard that you first mm -hmm. reached out to when you went to New York, yeah. was that uh, something that a relationship you kept in touch with, that there were some frequent touches here and there in between, or was it, oh man, I remember he's out here, I interviewed him, because it sounds like you've really discovered how much you have to cultivate the relationships. You say you try to take people out for coffee, even if they don't have time, it's just showing the, hey, I'm still thinking about you all the time here. Um, sure, so yeah. how did that relationship come to be where it's like, cause that's very resourceful too of, well, let's see if the guy I interviewed has anything. So it yeah. sounded like that was also a good interview at the same time. 100%. And I, and I remember that, so it was a school project where we had to reach out to someone cold in the music industry and just say, Hey, I'm doing a school project. I want to interview you and learn what a day in your life is like. Um, and so a lot of people, a lot of my classmates reached out to like, I had a classmate who was able to get an interview with Scooter Braun freaking oh. crazy and like so i think it's just yeah because we had our at berkeley.edu email addresses and that's you know for <laughs> name in the music industry so i feel like hey a berkeley student wants to east, me, east coast berkeley know. sorry yes boston okay boston. okay yeah yeah L -E -E. um and so um yeah and so i had reached out to a couple people at billboard because i i was i'm and still am a very avid billboard no one else who does department does at billboard you know and um yeah so i'd reached out to the director of charts because his name just happened to be on the contact us page and i was like oh you i'll email you <laughs> and then um and then we ended up scheduling an interview for the school project that we we were talking on phone for like an hour and the interview like ended maybe 30 minutes in and he just wanted to learn more about me so it seems like in the moment, it seemed like he was invested in learning more about what my goals were and like what things were that I wanted to accomplish in my career. And 
Um, and because he seemed interested, I did try to keep in touch. So I emailed him like maybe once every couple months or so and said, mm. Hey, just, you know, hope you're doing well. Cause I, I did send him a thank you card after the interview, um, like a handwritten thank you card. And I mailed it to the billboard office. And he, I remember he emailed me back like maybe a couple months later and said, Hey, I totally forgot to email you, but thank you for the, the thank you card. It was really like, he was like, Oh, your penmanship's really beautiful. And I was like, <laughs> and I have, and this is like maybe a weird thing thing and I'm just kind of a nerd about this but I love personalized stationery so I always have personalized stationery on hand um, for events like that where like I wanted to send a nice thank you card to this guy who took an hour of his time you know he's a director of charts like he doesn't have to speak to junior college student you know whatever so um but yeah and he was like oh and I really liked your personalized stationery that's really cool and I was like Oh, great speaking topic. Like, it's like, you know, we had something to connect on, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think maybe touch for a few months. But as I um, knew that I was going to move to New York after college, and he was based in New York, I, um, yeah, I kind of maybe three or four months before I was leaving, I, I just shot him an email and said, Hey, I'm moving to New York. I don't know if you have anything open or if you will have anything open in four months time. Um, but I would really love to stay in touch with you as I do my job search or whatever. And he's like, oh yeah, absolutely. Anything you need, let me know. And then I had reached out a month leaving. Hey, I have applied to a ton of jobs, haven't gotten anything, any chance you have an opening or you know mm -hmm. anyone, any other departments at Billboard that have an opening. And I never got a response. And I think I followed up maybe three or four times, still never got a response. And then, like I told you guys, like three weeks in, he finally yeah. came back and he was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I completely missed these emails. Like, you know, I got so busy, yeah. um, but are you still looking? And that's why he asked, are you looking? And I said, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Gotcha. Yes, please. <laughs> but yeah, it definitely took a bit of fostering that relationship. But, um, and I think just like the little touches, like the thank you card and the, occasional emails oh I updated him when I lost my Berkeley email address you know because we had com been communicating through my college email address and I said hey I'm about to graduate I would love to stay in touch here's my personal email address because this one will become invalid in a couple months oh smart so just like little updates to say hey you and my network um yeah that definitely just little things that kept me top of mind definitely okay so I do want to kind of get into the singing as well, but I want to hear, you said you've talked to almost all the people that you've wanted to, but there's still a few uh, that you haven't. So sure. can we put that in the universe? Who, who are your people that you're like, I still got to reach? Yeah, for sure. Okay. I have a few dream publications. Like I want to write for Condé Nast Traveler. Um, I would love to get a byline in Vogue, Vanity Fair, um, Pitchfork, just because I feel like it's the other big music publication that I love reading outside of Billboard. Um, I feel like those are the ones. Like, okay. I have a few that are still like, yeah, I'd like to write for them, but they're not like dream, dream publications. But yeah, I think the, the big, big ones are like Vogue, Vanity Fair, Condé Nast Traveler. Okay. And yeah. I think those are the big ones. Cool. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I bet you'll reach them eventually. Give yeah. Your portfolio. Oh, be awesome. gotta, be, gotta be persistent, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not too far. <laughs> not too far. Now, you know how to taper it. You don't have to be as persistent now because yeah, not anymore. But you are looking pretty today. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, so yeah, about the music. So yeah. you performed in a lot of cool places. 
uh, mm-hmm. Yankee Stadium, um, Tampa Bay Rays, Tam- Tampa Bay Devils, different, a lot of different places. How did yeah. you, what did the first, like when you first booked your first performance, like what did that look like? How did that go down? Oh gosh. I mean, or like, I, or like, or like one that's like memorable for you. Something that sure. one that comes to mind. Um, well, I guess I get, I feel like the question that I always get asked was like, what was it like to do American Idol when you were 16 years old? Yeah, that's and it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a big, like, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. That a lot of people don't realize when you go to that cattle call, obviously you're not, I think judges that season were Steven Tyler and JLo and Randy Jackson. And so when you go into that cattle call, when they're like, American Idol is coming to a city near you, you know, they're not, they're, you're not going in to see Randy Jackson that day, (laughs) you know? And so there's hundreds of thousands of people who show up to these auditions all over the country and you are literally herded like cattle. You like going in your group and you're, you know, you audition at in front of a table of like, like 20 year old assistant producers or something like that. And they decide in 15 seconds, whether or not they think you're worthy of moving on to the next round of preliminary auditions before you even get to the, I'm going to Hollywood thing um unless you have like an industry in which is i think more common now at the time this was like still very much like a you go if you want to be on the show like this is the only way you get on the show is if you go to these cattle calls but i think now um i've had a couple friends who have been on the voice and we're on the four and from from what i understand now it's a lot more recruiting that happens on the productions end but at the time it was like you really just had to sit in this line you get up at six in the morning or whatever and you line up and you have to stay vocally warm all day um you know while you're like standing and sitting and standing and sitting and you get lined up here and lined up there and you have to like be on camera here and be, so there's a lot of stuff that goes into it and you go through like three rounds or so of producer auditions before you actually get to the uh, celebrity judges Mm. and then the celebrity judges that day is so long like I was one of the last people my my day and I think they required us to be there at six in the morning like fully made up ready to go but we had to be camera ready and then I didn't sing till like 7 p.m or something oh my gosh wow jeez yeah so and like, and I was a minor at the time, so my parents had to be with me and yeah, and there's no way to keep yourself entertained. And like a lot of the time in, in a lot of, uh, performing arts spaces, I feel like a lot of people don't want to talk to each other, especially if it's a competition. So like, like you're just there by yourself and like oh, my, cause they line you up, it, it, you have assigned seats. And so my parents can't stay with me. I have no one to talk to. Like I literally just sit there and I waited and I ended up talking to the guy next to me who was the last one of the day. Turned out to be Philip Phillips. I thought he was joking when he said that was his name. And yeah, and then he ended up winning that season. But it was just like one of those crazy things. I was like, yeah. oh yeah, you seem really cool. And like, we just ended up talking. But I was 16, he was like maybe what, 21, 22 at the time. So yeah, but like they don't tell you how long the days are gonna be and how crazy it's gonna be and how much hurry up and wait there is. But obviously like I keep in touch with so many of the people from that. And I was 16, so what, it's been, eight years now um and so yeah it's kind of crazy to think that we're all still in touch like we see each other when we see each other like there's a lot of them who live out here in LA now and I like we'll go get coffee with them um so it's definitely a nice way to build a community but I would say that it's very much not the experience that you think it is when you watch Mm. the TV shows for sure um but with regards to gigs I'm trying to think. Um, oh, well, the same thing with the the national anthems and stuff. Those were all like cattle call situations. Okay. And this I think mm. this was pre like YouTube auditions and pre 
like you have an agent and they get you and audition. this was like all like very grassroots stuff you know and like mm. especially when I was living I'm from Tampa and when they wanted to get um, people to sing the national anthem they wanted locals so they would say like put it in the paper like literally the newspaper not even like Tampa Bay online like it was like in the actual newspaper <laughs> like my dad would on Sunday and say hey the Rays are hosting national anthem auditions you want to drive to St. Pete and like that was how those things happened. And so you just like, you don't even make an appointment. You just show up and mm -hmm. hope that they have time to see you that day, you know? And I think similarly to a lot of the things that I've been saying today, I feel like once you do one, you do them all. It like right. sort of happens. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, uh, what was the first one that I did? I want to say that the Rays was the first one that I did. Okay. And then the girl who had been booking the national anthems for the Rays then transferred to booking anthems for the lightning which is our hockey team in tampa um and so then that was um yeah and so then i ended up singing for them because she just remembered me and yeah and then i think one of the games that i played or one of the games that i sang at at tampa bay stadium was against the yankees and so then like their booker was there and she oh. like so it's kind of just like a once you get one it gets easier to book more. interesting yeah oh, that's so cool yeah and you said you saw her perform too no, I, oh. I I went to a Yankees game. Oh, oh. yeah, yeah. I, 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 I haven't seen her perform. Like, when's the when's the what's the last performance you've done recently? Like, do you still? Oh, I mean, it's been a I, while, unfortunately, okay. I just, life has taken over. But yeah, the last one I did was here in LA. Um, my alma mater does a monthly thing uh, for alumni. Where it's an, a show open to the public, but it showcases Berkeley alumni. Um, so I did the show in February. February, I want to say. Okay. So it's been a bit, but yeah, I, I definitely miss performing. I was, um, I mainly now, if I gig, it's like cover gigs. I don't do my mu original music as much as I used to. So it's more like I'll sing in restaurants and bars or at parties and stuff and, um, and do like a lot of cover stuff. And that's fun for me too. So. Okay. And you're in yeah. LA now, you said? Yes, I am. How long have you been there? Just a year. It just, oh, okay. it was just a year in September. So yeah, I moved there from New York. Gotcha. What's so, the yeah. biggest difference? Oh gosh, there's so so many differences. Yeah, that's, probably, that's a pretty <laughs> yeah. good question. I mean, I'm I'm very much an East Coaster. I've realized just like after living here for a year, like my personality very much vibes more with East Coast people. Like I'm very direct. Mm -hmm. I don't like fuck around. Like I don't. <laughs> I have no patience. You know, for people being slow, for people taking their time. I can't do it. I. I, I <laughs> And I've it's heard out there people time. take their time. Oh, too much. And like <laughs> so much so much waiting. It's like like I can have meetings sometimes that I think is gonna be a lunch meeting and it lasts three hours. And I'm like, how <laughs> like it took us an hour and a half to order our food. I don't understand like no, this doesn't happen and you know <laughs> that was the biggest adjustment for me. I think like my maybe my first or second week out here in LA, I had scheduled a day when I had like three back to back meetings and I was late for the the second and third one because both of the like the first one and the second one ran over like what they were supposed to and, and i yeah i even left like an hour of buffer time in between each i think i scheduled each meeting to be like an hour and a half long and then i gave myself an hour in between just in case there was traffic or whatever and i was like this is more than enough time i'll be totally fine no the first meeting took like two and a half hours and i was like this totally throws my whole thing off and i <laughs> I was so frustrated like the entire and then got to the second meeting like 10 minutes late and I hate being late mm. um which is also an east coast thing I've realized but um because people here they don't mind being late they say a party starts at seven no one gets there till at least 7 45 <laughs> okay um 
Yeah. I made that mistake too. I was like, oh, party starts at seven. I'll get there at 645. I like being early. No, <laughs> they, were, they weren't even done setting up the party yet. And they were like, outside, please. Yeah. It was bad. Yeah. It was so bad. That's so, awesome. That's like a thing out here that just like time is looked at very differently. I feel like people take things a lot easier. Like, and now I know, obviously after being here for a year, I understand how to budget my time, but um, yeah, after moving here and being here for a week, and that was like my first full day of meetings, I was so shocked. I was like, this is not how this always is, is it? And then, mm. yeah, it is actually yeah. how it is. So two meetings a day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Yeah, that's 100%. It. No, that's, and you, if you want to do back to back, they all have to be in the same area. You say, okay, I'm going to meet all of you in West Hollywood and I'll do them, you know, back to back. But mm. you can't, if you're trying to go across town or like the fact that you have to factor in traffic, because I'm so used to like, hopping on the subway if i'm in new york you know you can be at one meeting like or at an event you stay there for your 30 45 minutes whatever you hop on the subway go to the next one hop on the subway go to the next one and you can do your whole night in three four hours mm -hmm. but here it's like you have to really account for the for the traffic it's like a huge it's a huge part of life here like you really do have to factor it in and people are like oh yeah just in case you run into traffic no it's like you have to plan on there being a shit ton of traffic like you can't like there's no way that there won't be traffic you know like when someone schedules an event in santa monica at 6 p.m on a tuesday there's no way i would have to leave at 3 p.m i always say no because like, i can't do it like you're not <laughs> like i would never be able to get out there in time you know if i wanted to leave at a reasonable hour so mm. i think that's the biggest thing is like the time is looked at very differently here. yeah Move slower. Okay. That makes yeah, sense. For sure. For sure. I have, I'll have to send you guys this link because there's this comedian on Instagram who I just started following and he did this like minute long rant about, cause he's from New York and now he lives in LA and he did this like minute long rant about like people in LA don't value time. It's, I, it won't be funny if I say it. He's also from Staten Island. So he's got like that great accent. Okay. But, yeah. But, send it over. Yeah. I'll have to send it to you guys cause it's really funny and it perfectly encapsulates why I don't like West Coast. <laughs> Got it. So uh, are you going to move back to New York eventually then? I think, Thanks. yeah. I think, I think maybe not New York necessarily, but just East Coast. My boyfriend's from Boston and we've talked about moving back to the Northeast in some capacity. Um, yeah, like we're still, we're still trying to figure out where our forever home is going to be. But um, I think LA's fine for right now. And there's a lot of opportunity out here, which is really cool, especially mm -hmm. as a freelancer in the media industry. Um, because most publications are based in New York, they don't necessarily have staff members who are out here. So mm -hmm. I've realized that like, if I was trying to go to an event in New York, for example, like a sit down dinner where they only have a certain number of seats, say they have 20 seats, they're going to invite the people who actually work on staff somewhere for the most part. Um, but out here, since there's so few media and most of the people are freelancers, I get invited to everything, you know, cool. and like in, in a great way, like where it gets, I get more FaceTime with brand founders. I get more FaceTime with PR people. I get more FaceTime with other editors. And like, it has, I, it's been really good for me, I think, because I just, yeah, I've, I've been able to increase my visibility as a freelancer with these brands and with the PR people, just because there's so fewer of us. There's so, there's so, I don't know how to phrase that. We're thinking of what you're putting down. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's significantly less of us out here. Um, and so, yeah, it's been really nice to see how, how quickly my portfolio has grown since I've been out here. Uh, and I feel like I've gotten a lot more opportunities since I've been out here. Um, just to, like to take on higher profile, uh, yeah, higher profile interviews and higher profile events. And, um, and yeah, I feel like I've just gotten a lot more FaceTime with brands and stuff, which is a huge part of my job. Um, 
just because, yeah, they're not trying to get all of the in-house people. The in-house people are in New York. So when they go to New York, they can fight for the in-house people there. But here there's like, yeah, it's mostly freelancers. So they, they value freelancers a lot out here, which is really nice. That's awesome. So we've talked uh, with other interview guests in the past about like networking and things like that. And we were kind of introduced to networking, working events in college where they set up a room on campus, all these businesses come and it's like, okay, what can you really do for me? Right. So with your events and your type of networking, how have you uh, seen it really change in terms of what's the interaction like? Um, What are the people like? Is it where everyone knows that, Hey, you're going to get people from here and here and here, try to get projects, this and that, or is it very, very casual and business comes later? I think the the interesting thing is that it just really depends because I write for so many different fields, I guess mm-hmm. um, it, the, the networking events really vary. So um, within the beauty and fashion spaces, there's a lot of emphasis on influencers, especially because I'm out here in LA and there's lots of influencers out here. Um, so a lot of the time, brands will split up their events. Like if a brand is coming into town, they'll split up their event and they'll have an editor event in the morning, for example, and then uh, an influencer event in the afternoon. And so we have very separate experiences. So like, I guess like for people who follow the beauty industry and they see, oh, all these high profile influencers are going to this pop-up thing. Most likely there was like an editor breakfast in the morning. Mm-hmm. I was like, new product, why don't you try it out? And then like, cause our, what we need in an event is very different than what an influencer needs in an event. Like an influencer needs an opportunity to create content. They need photographable moments. They need like all of the glitz and glamor. They need like a something that they can get very dressed up for so that they can create content for their followers. Right. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's like, yeah, we'll get dressed up and we'll look nice for this event, but more than likely it's like, we want to experience the product. We want to be able to touch it. We want to be able to feel it. And we want to be able to like say, these are the things that we like about it. These are the things that we don't. So it's less about the, the photos and the, I guess the, I don't know, the sparkliness of the event. Um, And more so about, um, yeah, it's more so about, yeah, experiencing the product. So it really depends. Um, I think the the definition of events for me has just become slightly warped, especially because I've been in this industry for a little bit. Um, like what we what I look at as an event is like, hey, House Labs, Lady Gaga's new makeup line is launching. We're having a huge party. And that's what we call an event for us. And so yeah, there's gonna be a mix of influencers, a mix of editors, there's gonna be entertainment industry people, and there's gonna there's gonna be so many different kinds of people who show up at this big party where like a lot of people will not talk to each other. Like you'll talk to the people that you know and you won't necessarily talk to people that you don't, right? So I think, yeah, it sort of just depends. And um what I have found like for me at least, especially um, in building relationships with influencers that I maybe want to interview later on, or um, maybe, yeah, just want to like establish a connection with since I'm out here in LA and like influencers are now looked at as experts in the beauty industry the same way, in a different way, but also like, I guess in a similar caliber that editors are. Um, for me, it's important to establish those relationships and events are a great way to do that. So a lot of the time at these events, like where they're mixing editors and influencers together, I'll just go up to someone and say, Hey, I've been a fan of your YouTube channel. Really like watching your thing. Like, or, you know, I love that you gave this tip. I do this too, you know, whatever, find 
some common ground. And then um, a lot of the time they'll give me a business card or they'll connect me to their manager or something like that, where then we can establish that relationship. And then when we see each other at the next event, then we can say, oh, hey, I know you. There's like some facial recognition, at least, if, even if they don't remember my name. Um, and so I think that's been the biggest takeaway for me with, um, with events here. It's been, yeah, a lot of that, that FaceTime. So whether it's with other editors, with influencers, with the brands, with the PR people, um, that's been, yeah, I guess my biggest takeaway. But I, I really, like from the time I've been in college, I've always hated the term networking because it seems mm. like you're like using people. I know that mm. that's not what the term is supposed to mean. Right. And for the most part, people don't mean it that way. But I think especially when at my school, a lot of people the music industry is so competitive that like a lot of people at my school looked at networking as like a, Hey, what can I get from you? And what can you get from me? And let's make this a transactional relationship as opposed to like, Hey, I really like the way you play. Like we should hang out sometime. Like let's get coffee. And like, I want to hear who your influences are. And like, let's, you know, really get to know each other on a more personal level. And I think that's mm -hmm. where my, um, I guess avoidance to the word networking has come in. Just because I felt like when I was in school, networking was looked at as a very like, yeah, here's what I'm good at. Here's what you're good at. Let's trade kind of thing. Mm, as opposed to like, Hey, let's become friends. Let's find a way to keep our relationships going past college, past our first jobs, past our second jobs, and, you know, continue to recommend each other for gigs, continue to, you know, reach out to each other when we see that, you know, a family member is sick. Like I would much rather have that kind of relationship with someone and then the business relationship follows, you know? And I think I sort of carried that into this industry as well. Um, Cause like when I was gigging full time and gigging four or five times a week, when I lived in Boston, I, you know, I feel like the, the gigs that I got recommended for the most were from people who knew me on a personal level, you know, like I was able to get more gigs because people liked me and not because they thought I was a talented singer. Cause there are definitely other people who are way better than me um, but I think I got gigs over them just because of like the likability factor, not to be like, mm -hmm. look at me. But <laughs> I, I think it was, it was because I, I put so much of an emphasis on, yeah, let's be friends as opposed to like, let's be uh, colleagues, you know? Okay. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. And so I think that's, and, and the beauty industry and the fashion industry can be very, um, very similar in, in that way. Like, oh, well, if you're, if I give you contact to this, um, this editor, will you give me contact to your editor at such and such publication? Like, yeah, I'm more than happy to trade. But at the same time, I'd rather us just be friends. Like, let's go get coffee. Like, we can like talk about what we're both working on. Like, I'd love to hear what projects you're passionate about right now. Things like that. I'd rather, I'd much rather that be my relationship with someone in my industry than like a here trade for trade to for yeah. chat. Okay, friends who help each other rather than colleagues yeah. who trade. One hundred percent. Yeah. Got it. That's awesome. Right on. Yeah, you I'm definitely approached it the right way terms of Thank building you. for the long term instead of yeah yeah that's good yeah i feel like it establishes more of a genuine connection too because like someone is more likely to um you know recommend me for a job more likely to recommend me for um you know freelancer position whatever it may be or just even to go to an event i feel like i get passed on a lot of stuff like a lot of my like my favorite pr contacts now were passed on to me from someone who recommended me to that pr person mm -hmm. you know and so yeah i think it it goes a long way and i i for me, at least, I feel like my track record has shown that that relationship works better than here's my transactional relationship with this person. Right. Yeah. You should always give information or help to people without the expectation yeah. of getting anything back. Yeah. 100%. Right. And I think especially like, I this might be 
yeah, I mean, just women, I think, are also made to feel like we're all in competition with each other. And within the spaces that I work in, there's pretty much exclusively women, right? And I always try to emphasize the fact that there is more than enough space for all of us. You know, like there is like, yeah, it is competitive and life can get really hard and freelancing is a fucking hustle and it sucks sometimes. But I think that if you are pulling people up, they will then pull you up when they're above you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just is like this constant thing of, you know, we have to constantly lift up, uplift each other. Yeah. For sure. It sounds like you're definitely doing it right in terms of longevity for your career, your business, your relationships, you. seeing that you're in the people business, you just happen to do X, Y, Z. Yes, I love that. That's a great definition for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask, what's... Uh, What's the toughest thing about freelance writing that a lot of people don't see, like at the service level that you said, like, it sucks sometimes. Like it's, it's not like it's, it's easy to think it's, Oh, you get to travel all these cool places and write, but I'm sure you, you've made a lot of sacrifices that a lot of people just don't see at the service level. So for sure. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't give this up at all. Like I really do love freelancing and I think that there's, excuse me, there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of perks to it, but the two biggest takeaways that I have is that like life looks really glamorous on social media. It's not, I spend most of my days like in my pajamas, like I rolled out of bed at five 30 in the morning, like just like opened up my computer and started typing with my eyes half closed, you know, and that's how my day normally starts. And then I go to an event that night and I look all glam, but it took me like, you know, seven, eight hours of me typing away at my computer. And then like two hours of me, like putting makeup on for me to get to that event that Mm -hmm. night, you know? So they didn't see all of like the, the emails of me pulling my hair out and like looking like I have a rat's nest on my head, you know, <laughs> like all of these things that people don't see. And they think that like freelancing is like, oh, you set your own schedule. Like, oh, you must live such a glamorous life. And like, it's, it is, it is very difficult um, when like social media is such a highlight reel. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the biggest things that I've taken away from it. And also people don't pay you on time. Like that's the, <laughs> A huge thing with with freelancing, and I think that anyone who's a freelancer in any industry can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Like, there there is no, they have no reason to want to pay you on time. Besides the fact that, well, if they like you enough, they want you to work for them again. But like, there is no incentive for a big company to pay you on time. You know, mm-hmm. gone like months being owed thousands of dollars from one client. You know, and that's wow. it's really difficult when you're freelancing and you don't know where your next paycheck is coming from, and you're like that is three months worth of rent that I'm owed from this one company. Like, why can't Mm -hmm. they just send it to me already? You know? Um, And there's a lot of like invoice hunting that you have to do. You have to like, and if that person's not responding, you have to find the person who's above them or their colleague or whoever, like someone needs to answer my email right now. I need to get paid. And I, that takes up so much of my time Time that I'd rather spend, you know, writing time that I'd rather spend pitching time that I'd rather spend going to, to events, but I need to make sure that obviously I'm making a living. So um, so yeah, that's a big thing too. And okay. I guess another one, just because I'm in the travel space, a lot of people think that like traveling for a living is like a permanent vacation and I'm working most of the time when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to a really beautiful place and obviously I do not take that for granted at all. And I'm so grateful that I get to do that. Um, but a lot of it is like, I bring my laptop with me in this giant tote bag. And then like, I'm going around to all these cool places and I take my cute photo real quick. And then I go sit down at a cafe, bang out a, a story and then go and continue sightseeing. And like, mm-hmm. there's like a lot of stuff that go, and I always have to have my data turned on on my phone so that I can answer emails. I'm like always on call, you know? Um, 
and I think that's a big thing too with traveling. People think that it's just like a vacation and I'm definitely not on vacation. <laughs> yeah. So do you have a spot that you've either gone back to in order to vacation or you plan on going back to so you can vacation that you've, you've visited? Um, great question. I, um, I did this summer, like July into August. No, is that right? I think maybe August and September. No, no, no. It was July into August. I did six weeks in Europe and I did like Paris, London, Barcelona, um, Stockholm. And like, I, I did like a lot of Europe in a very short amount of time. And I would love to just go back to each of those places and spend more time mm. there because I was working. Like I, I started in Paris for Polka Tour Fashion Week and then I went to London for Pride. And then I was in Sweden because I was um, covering... Um, the Absolute Distillery that's in Aarhus, which is like a few hours uh, north of Stockholm. So there was just, um, yeah, so there was just a lot of stuff that was going on that was work-related. And I granted, I did get to do a lot of sightseeing when I was there, but I would have, like, my sightseeing day in London was just like one day and okay. the rest of the day was working. So it would have been nice to like have more time. So yeah, definitely a lot of Europe I want to go back to. And I would love to go on assignment in Japan. Like that's like a huge mm -hmm. goal. I would love okay. to go to Japan on assignment. So putting that out in the universe, a big thing right now, like a huge goal, and I don't know if it's going to happen is to go to the Olympics next year in Tokyo. Oh, wow. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Um, but that would be like a huge goal to get to cover, yeah. the, you know, like a really cool country, you know, and I've always, I love Japanese culture and like, I love Japanese food. So yeah, I would definitely want to go to Japan. Yeah. Speak it into existence. Let's yes, go. Exactly. Yeah. It's on the universe. And let's yep. Go. We believe in that. It's out there now. Yeah, uh, so do you do you go to the Philippines uh, often at all? The last time I went was in 2017. Um, and before that, I, had, I hadn't been since high school. So I would like to go back more. My parents actually spend half of their year there now um, because okay. I want to like, spend more time with their families, um, especially because... Yeah, I mean, all of all of their kids are now moved out of the house, so they feel like they can, you know, they have a little bit more freedom to to come mm -hmm. back home. Um, so yeah, I would like to go back more. I'm thinking if I end up going to Japan, I'll tack on the Philippines because it's close enough, and like, there's there's ways to like, I said, it's sort of get around it, I guess, if I wanted to sort of turn a work trip into a personal thing. But yeah, yeah I'd love to see my cousins, and yeah, I like to, I would like to go back more for sure. Awesome. But I awesome. love it. It's so cool. Obviously, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's awesome yeah. Tim you got anything else for uh for Kristen here um one more question before you go I mean if, if you were to give advice to anybody I know you talked a little bit about your experience but if you were to give like one piece of advice to someone who's like trying to build a writing career like starting as a freelancer I mean what would you what would you tell them is an important thing to know that maybe you wish you would have known at first find your you like find what makes you special my first okay. byline for teen but well i'll rewind even the reason why i got hired at billboard even though i had no uh writing experience was because i was a musician and because i sold myself as a i know what musicians are like i know what musicians want i know what they want to talk about i know how to ask a, a songwriter about their process i know how to ask a musician about like how did you come up with this iconic part of this song you know i i know how to talk to people about that stuff and so that was like a huge selling point for me getting hired at billboard even though i had no editorial experience and then um when i pitched my story to teen vogue i capitalized on the fact that i have eczema and i really wanted to talk about women of color who you know deal with eczema and like how that affects 
how you look at yourself as beautiful. And that was my first byline in Teen Vogue. So I feel like finding the things that make you you is what will give you the most opportunity. I feel like if you're trying to follow trends, um, you're going to have less success because everyone's okay. already talking about those things already. But you're the only one who can tell your stories the way that you see them. Um, so even if you're not in the beauty or the fashion spaces, there are so many other facets of writing like the video game industry right now there's like a lot of women i'm seeing who are writing about video games because it's been such a marginalized community for so long and now there's like you know there's more of a i guess of a surgence of that voice um and so i feel like regardless of what you're writing about yeah find the thing that makes you you that makes you unique um and capitalize on that because i feel like that's what people really gravitate towards they want a unique story they want something because i i heard from someone once like you have to go niche to a to appeal to the masses. And I thought that that was so interesting because apparently Teen Vogue got a lot of traction on my eczema story just because like there were very few publications who were talking about eczema at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and now since then, like Allure did a huge um, uh, spread in their magazine about psoriasis. And like, I feel like there's just been a lot more conversation and not saying that I started this trend at all, not not giving myself credit. But you that. were ground zero, let's be honest. <laughs> no, but I, I <laughs> like that, like when you have, one major publication talking about it, then more major publications want to talk about it, you know? And like, I, I remember I wrote a piece um, for Hello Giggles a while back about shaving my face. And I got so, like I shaved my face um, and it's like part of my beauty routine. And I talked about how it, yeah, has really like improved my, my views of self-care and like how makeup sits on my skin and things like that. And I got so many DMs from people who were like, I didn't realize that other girls did this. Like I didn't, I thought I was weird for wanting to shave my face. Like, thank you so much for writing this piece. And like, so I think, yeah, you have to go niche to appeal to the masses. And I like that really resonated with me because I feel like a lot of my stories that I found having the most success were the ones that were very specific to me. Okay. That's very valuable. That's advice. awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. So Kristen, you said we need to come to LA. A lot of interesting people out there. Yeah. Okay. A lot of interesting people. <laughs> Would love if we could get out there in the next year or two. Hopefully we can have a, an in-person interview next too. Yes, absolutely. That'd be cool. But uh, hey, we know you got a pack. Uh, you got a big couple of days of travel. So thank you so much again for, for hanging with us, giving us some of your time. This thank was super fun. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're a good time. So thanks. Let me know if you guys have any questions or if you need anything for the show notes or whatever. Just let me know. For sure. Awesome. Great. Likewise, too. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good one, guys. All right. Have Bye, a safe Chris. trip. Thank you. Bye. Bye.